Hello, everyone. Uh, my name again is John Gilbert. This is Casey Jackson. Hello. We are with the Institute for Individual and Organizational Change, and we help people uh, like yourself in evidence-based communication skills to help individuals and organizations with the communities and people they serve. So to help with that, we have uh, a particular tool that Casey led as the lead author that I was fortunate enough to be a co-author on, as well as Ali Hall and Dr. Susan Butterworth, that we'll be talking about today and why that even came about and what's kind of happening in the MI world of why this may be beneficial to some of you that may be interested. So we'll get going into that. So what is this kind of topic that we're talking about here that we thought would be helpful to discuss? You know, one of the topics we've talked about before that's on other podcasts we've done is on fidelity-based motivational interviewing. Like, what are we thinking about from an evidence-based practice? What's the science? Why is this different from other methods of communication? I mean, there's all, all those kind of conversations that tend to surface when we're talking about motivational interviewing. And specifically why we even moved to developing the motivational and competency assessment, the MICA, um, there are lots of tools to measure motivational. I think there's at least 16 different tools out there, I think. It's a really long slide we made. Yeah, well, a long slide. So there's lots of, <laughs> lots of tools out there to measure mm-hmm. motivational interviewing, uh, some from very research perspective, some mm-hmm. from just a purely fidelity perspective. Some tools were developed just to give some quick down and dirty feedback. So lots of variety in, in reasons why people develop coding tools. And so I got a call from, and, I, and I've always been obsessed, personally, I've always been obsessed with coding ever since I've been involved in the, the world of motivational interviewing, training it, teaching it, and learning it myself. You know, and I'm, as a social worker, I was, never, I was never heavy into the research side of things or the data side of things, but the very first time I went through a coding training on the motivational interviewing treatment integrity scale, I just became obsessed. It's like this is measurable, you can replicate this, you can train people to get better at this skill set. This is amazing to me. And so I went through several versions of training as, as that tool continued to evolve and, and move in different directions. Then there's kind of a point in time with all the projects that you and I have worked on. We do a lot of work with um, state agencies and state organizations, large organizational change. And some of the people are really interested in motivational learning, and some of the people that we train are hesitant or are a little guarded about it. Mm-hmm. And the tools that we had tried using generated a lot of the resistance and discord we were trying to fight mm-hmm. when you're trying to get professionals just to help them along their path of what they choose for professional development. So this is when I got a call um, from Dr. Susan Butterworth, and she was like, well, what do you think of some of the tools out there? And I'm like, you know, I love a lot of the tools out there, but there's kind of this gap of what I really, really need. And she was saying, mm-hmm. you know, I'm struggling with that too. You know, there's been some turns in the road with different tools that are used and mm-hmm. there's kind of this gap that's been left. So um, uh, Dr. Butterworth and I had several preliminary conversations and then just came to the decision that it's like, you know, so many people have said, if you want a better tool, then build it yourself. So mm-hmm. we decided that we'll build it ourselves. And you and I are so close in what we do with our trainings together at IFIOC and and our, our desire to really provide fidelity-based, evidence-based training on motivational interviewing that goes beyond acronyms and, and just gets into what is the substantive aspects of change, which is why you were a natural fit. Originally, um, actually, Kelly Franklin was involved mm-hmm. in it as well, too. 
in the in the early when we first started talking about it, and then Allie Hall, who's known for doing a lot of coding trainings, you know, um, when she heard about it, then she asked if she could be involved as well, and so that was kind of our team that we we pulled together, and and. The, as soon as we sat down, I still remember the first day that we were here at IFIOC, at our training center here in Spokane, all four of us came together, all five of us came together. We sat down and started to kind of whiteboard, and our number one filter was every decision we make, let's use the filter of, is this going to be value-added for the end user? If it really is a coding and a coaching tool, this whole MICA, the Motivation and Competency Assessment, if it's, if it's going to be all about the end user or about the professional, let's filter everything through that. Instead of trying to get the jargon of motivational interviewing wrapped around their brains, let's us try to step into their worldview and think what would it be like as I'm trying to get better, what would be the, the pieces of feedback that would be helpful that still align with a fidelity-based approach to motivational interviewing? And that was literally the launch of, of starting the whole MICA hmm. coding tool. Hmm. So, And it really captures quite a wide range of the end user as well of those people that are really motivated that want to take it to the next level like the people that we worked with at uh, the Bay Area Kaiser and oh, yeah. uh, and some of those wonderful people yes. can't remember everyone's name right now but uh, they were, were all scoring in the competent to even proficient range with one of the tools and then the mica they found kind of took it to another level that uh, Stephen Rolnick talked about with values and things at a at a mint forum uh, they realized there was kind of another level at the high end it seemed like for them to go to for quality improvement. There's not just quality assurance. And then the other end of the spectrum too, it seems to also capture that end of people that are feeling like they're being made to go through an MI training yes. and having talked with a lot of those individuals yes. and coachings and codings. So it seems uh, they're able to get into the kind of spirit of MI in a little bit easier of a way by talking about it in this sort of a tool. So I'm wondering what's been kind of your experience when you think about Okay, we thought of the end user in mind, and so how has that played out from your original kind of conception to uh, what your experience has been so far? I'll tell you, it exceeded my expectations. What what ended up unfolding, and you know, the versions that we've worked on since the original version and the version we're currently working on right now. I think some of the the most significant impacts for me in in working on the tool and seeing it evolve um, was a presentation that. Uh, Kylie McKenzie did. Uh, uh, yes. Kylie, who's <laughs> a brilliant motivational trainer out of uh, Australia, um, just outside of Melbourne, um, and who who's really has been focused on uh, person-centered approaches. That she's patient-centered. Yeah, 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 she's she's getting her PhD, and that was one of the things that really struck me about the further intentionality that we had with Micah that didn't start that way but started to evolve as we wrote it that there is a spectrum. It's like you were talking about. There's a, a practitioner-driven or an agency-driven approach. But sometimes people are interested in MI, but an organization just wants to know that they're at a patient-centered or a client-centered or a person-centered approach. And that literally is one of the measures in the MICA tool is, mm -hmm. can we even measure if this is person-centered? Mm -hmm. And so from mm -hmm. a quality assurance perspective, and this is what we started looking at and that I got excited about, is we really started looking at we can look at this from a quality assurance perspective. So if an organization wants to ensure that they're person-centered in their approach or client-centered or patient-centered, um, that there, we, there's actually a measure 
to see is this conversation, is this level of practice person-centered? Mm-hmm. You can get to a place is this competent motivational learning? So we mm-hmm. know we can take a bite of this, we can sample it, we can measure it and say this is what we expect for a baseline of motivational learning practice to sound like. Mm-hmm. And then you can actually, you were talking about with when we worked at Kaiser with Mindy. Um, Mindy, that's it. Yeah, yeah Mindy. <laughs> with Mindy that... Um, that you can go to a level of quality improvement because there's some people that once you get into motivational motivational interviewing and become obsessed with it, you just want to get better and better and mm-hmm, better and mm-hmm. better. And so we wanted a quality improvement aspect as well too. So mm-hmm. there's clearly not motivational interviewing is what Micah can capture that like what is not motivational interviewing. What is somebody trying to do their best to help someone, mm-hmm. which well still intentioned, well intentioned, <laughs> yeah, and they're not doing any harm. You know, they're they're trying to do the right thing, but they've kind of they're in that fix it mode. Mm-hmm. What is person centered or client centered or patient centered practice? What's competent motivational interviewing? And when you see these masterful examples of motivational interviewing in these videos that are just like, I want to learn how to do that someday. I want to be Terry Moyers when I grow up, or I want to be <laughs> Dr. Bill Miller when I mm-hmm. grow up how do I continue to get feedback to move to that level of mastery yes. and artistry? And so that's what we built into to the tool very intentionally. So to see that evolution over time mm-hmm. of just, we just want to be able to provide coaching and feedback to then being able to evolve it to, well, there's multiple levels that we can build into this structure for this tool um, that we can give all a full spectrum of feedback for people. Mm-hmm. So those are the things that I was really excited about. Well, and a really powerful thing that you're pointing out in this that comes from Kylie and then there's a there's a second thought related to this but uh, Kylie specifically I remember the way I don't remember the exact word she used but it was something about this is the first tool I've seen that operationalizes patient-centered care and a lot of hospitals or I come from a healthcare background and they love to talk about being patient-centered or healthcare in general just like uh, social work will be person-centered or client-centered yes. uh, be values-based yes. be strength-based or values-driven strength-based and these belief systems these um, tenets these philosophies are very popular yes and that doesn't necessarily mean people are embodying them or measuring them or measuring and yeah well we don't know if no one takes a, <laughs> exactly. takes a bite of the recipe we yes. could get into that analogy but yes. uh, anyway so that's just to say though that it's interesting for people to go through trainings and think they're doing these things and then really try to embody them and get where they are values based and where they aren't so I'm just wondering your own um, sense too as you start to think about this okay, we got this spectrum now, we've accomplished that, we're helping the end user, but how has that played out in terms of how that compares since we're kind of talking about this uh, rollout and how it evolved as kind of the main topic, how does that compare with other tools now that we've seen some of the feedback from from it, we've got some research out on it, how would you say it compares, contrasts with some of the other tools out there that makes it especially relevant for people and what they should pay attention to? You know, I talked about it at one point uh, in one of the podcasts, the one specifically around when I'd come back from um, the UK mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and done the training there. And the one thing that, because the the motivational trainers at that particular training that wanted to learn about the MICA, the one thing that they appreciated how consistently it was communicated when I did that training is that this is truly a coaching tool to help the end user. And... And it doesn't mean that other tools aren't doing that, but it wasn't necessarily their intended purpose. Our intention from square one was to come up with a coaching tool to just help somebody who genuinely wants to get better at motivational interviewing, give them some feedback on how to get there. And, and 
And again, like we've talked about in other podcasts with the Micah specifically, to be proactive in that. So it's not like they put on their running shoes and try to pass the test or get everything done that they think is motivational interviewing. It's more about how do you shape their thinking through mindful intentions, through strategic responses that we really honed in on in the Micah. Um, was to just kind of set people up to move in that direction and, and to almost take an MI approach, a motivational learning approach to a coaching process to get better at motivational interviewing. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I, I, I think that that was a very specific intention. And when I, and I'm not familiar with every tool out there. I'm familiar with one of the more, the more common tools mm-hmm. uh, to measure motivational interviewing. Um, I think that was one thing that I know that was our intention when we sat down was to kind of we saw that there was a need. We had needs in our own practice and in our own professional um, experience. And from the ones we looked at, there was just nothing that fed, that kind of fit in that niche. And so that's mm-hmm. what we wanted to um, see if we could create something to move and, mm-hmm. and fill that in a little bit more effectively. Well, and for those two that are especially uh, out there and you're, um, you're a mentee, if you know what that means, or you're really into motivational interviewing and you're trying to really get a little more specific here, you're starting to think, okay, so there's a need. You keep talking about this need. There's this thing we see out there. I'm wanting to kind of go a little bit into that. I I do want to first say that um, having been lucky enough to collaborate on this, we did take into account what is in other tools, particularly some of the more popular ones, to try to incorporate what is in the evidence. And we yes. we we simply started to shift that to be more qualitative-based instead of quite so quantitative-based. That was yes. something that Dr. Butterworth was very uh, helpful at, at reframing. How do we capture the quality but still capture the essence of doing motivational interviewing adherent type behaviors yes. and things. And um, so, so there's th- that level of specificity we could get to, but where I want to start is what were you seeing as more specifically the need or the frustration of the practitioners or just the difficulty, it didn't have to be frustration, that you were seeing happen out in trainings you were doing that kind of culminated to this more, more specific, more precise tool? I think probably one of the most common frustrations I felt as somebody that was training and trying to shepherd or orchestrate people to get to the where they wanted to get to on one hand is when they would receive feedback from other tools we used, their first question is, did, basically, did I pass the test and do I have to do this anymore? Mm-hmm. And so it was just like, how do I get past the finish line? And and those those were, it was just feedback consistently that was like, that's it's that's not what our ultimate goal is. Our ultimate goal is just to help you get to where you want to go with motivational interviewing. And the other tools I know um, want to be able to provide that feedback as well too, but they weren't fundamentally developed to be a coaching tool. Like again, the arm around the shoulder was more about we can take a bite of this and measure and say, is this motivational interviewing? And we really did try to get that perspective of I think it'd be less stressful if we really did take an MI approach out of the gate, even with the tool about this is really all about you. Here's the things you can be thinking about when you go into an MI conversation and you don't have to be thinking about every single component of motivation that I've ever learned in any training I've ever been in to make sure that I do everything I'm supposed to. And what did I forget to say or what did I forget to do to make sure that I scored well? Mm-hmm. It, we weren't trying to combat that necessarily, we kept trying to put ourselves in the shoes of a naive brain who hadn't learned motivational interviewing and think, what would be the least intimidating way for mm-hmm. us to proceed forward with this? What would be mm-hmm. the, the most um, exciting and engaging way and the least intimidating way mm-hmm. to stay focused on, focused on some primary concepts 
And if we get them focused on some of those primary concepts, then be able to give them feedback about how close did they shoot to the target that they were trying to hit. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was a um, kind of the intention that, that filled in uh, kind of where there was a gap from what we'd seen, hmm. uh, from mm-hmm. what we'd experienced. Which is also that qualitative shift of their mind almost, too, to not be so, from other tools, they'll talk about um, relational uh, components and uh, the, te- the techniques, basically. And I'm slipping my mind right now, the fancy terms, I should remember that. But anyways, um, and that this is trying to get more in-depth into that mindset yes. that then is embodied in specific ways with the OR skills. But it's less about emphasizing exactly open into closing and all that yes. stuff. It's more about the quality of the curiosity. Yes. It's the quality of the empathy. Yes. It's, it's what is that quality and just, that's a very different focus. And so I'm, I am wondering though your own thoughts. So this isn't just, you know, yes, this is the best tool that ever exists. And we, wh- what are some of the no. strengths of other tools and the, maybe the weakness uh, of, of the mica and vice versa for you're starting to think about just c- compare contrast as let's put that out there. Um, the first one that I'll say, just because I know with the, the MISC, mm-hmm. um, one of the motivation being scales, is that really was intended in the beginning, like it was in the beginning of motivational interviewing, to listen to everything that the client was saying and everything that the clinician was saying, and to be able to dissect that down and be able to categorize it to go measurably, is this motivational interviewing? So if you're going to do a research project and you're going to compare apples to apples or apples to oranges in a research project, you want to make sure, is this intervention motivational learning and was this intervention motivational interviewing and then step back and look at the data that was collected, whatever the outcomes or whatever the intervention Mm -hmm. for that research project were intended to be. So that's a very specific focus Mm -hmm. and it it takes um, a significant amount of time to use that particular tool. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not a down and dirty tool. It's Mm -hmm. incredibly intensive um, from just Knowing what I've heard, the range it takes, mm-hmm. depending on the sample size, can take anywhere from three hours to six hours to mm-hmm. code one tape, um, which is incredibly labor intensive for mm-hmm. one tape. Mm-hmm. And um, and the majority of information gathered from that is not the the, the the bulk of that data is not necessarily transferable to the end mm-hmm. user, in a, especially for a naive brain that's going to be easy to digest and easy to apply and, and mm-hmm. have quality improvement from that. So it's more of an assessment of what we just heard. Mm-hmm. Um, Which it seems to be the intention of, of these sorts of tools is, uh, or at least that tool and sp- specifically, because again, we have a range and we are more than happy to do more video casts, podcasts on all these different tools and how it compares if you really want to dive into that and that's helpful. I mean, there's a whole world of possibility there. But the reason I say this is because then the intention of the tool is to find seemingly what are the components of MI that make MI MI? Absolutely. What are the active ingredients? And all of that is a big strength that we need to know. There's still a lot in communication we don't know and so there needs to be those sorts of tools out there with the mighty being kind of an outgrowth of that tool in a lot of ways to be a little bit more uh, user friendly to try to still assess but get uh, that out in a quicker way so it's not quite three to six hours but there seems to be kind of this it's what what's the original intention of the tool and there's a lot of research though for the misc and the mighty out there that's really super solid that seems to be important to acknowledge that there's it's really well researched and that the mica is still relatively young and we do have some reliability uh, study and some more being done right now that's independent 
um, that shows some some good promising outcomes. Yes. But it seems like that's an area for the mica to develop uh, just a little more ground underneath it. So I'm just wondering what your thoughts are of what's kind of going on with that that you've heard and kind of where that might might go. Well, the the, the other thing I'll say that kind of pulls the the like a misc and the mica and look at the kind of compare and contrast. And this okay. is you know you know I love analogies. You know I love my metaphors and different ways of the way my brain thinks in pictures. Um, but I think if you think of like Mrs. Fields cookie, like we use that as our example oh, for yes. fidelity. <laughs> so if you have a Mrs. Fields cookie, we know that a Mrs. Fields cookie tastes different than a Chips Ahoy or a Keebler or it just tastes different. And, and there may be basic ingredients like they all have flour, they all have some form of fat in them, they have all some, some form of sugar in them. And, but it, they all taste wildly different. It's um, been influenced by me as a dietitian, so there's all sorts of different <laughs> things going on. Definitely, there. especially <laughs> the fat and the sugar. Um, and so what I think of with the different tools as well, too, one of the things with the mica that's really important is to be able to use the mica tool, you have to be skilled in motivational interviewing. Yes. Um, other There's been other tools where people have said, well, you can train a student to use this tool because it's basically an abacus to just count things and make sure does this fit or where does this fit where if these are the definitions mm-hmm. listen to a sample and you can categorize it based on the definition you've been given so mm-hmm. just black and white you're an econ student it's black it's white it's black it's white yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's much easier than that motivational you need to understand it and, and how I transfer that analogy to like a Mrs. Fields cookie if that's kind of the quality we're going for with with the misc and the level of complexity it's literally breaking the entire cookie apart and almost seeing how many granules of salt were in there, how many granules mm-hmm. of sugar were in there, mm-hmm. um, you know, exactly how much flour was in there, how long was it baked, and because we need to be able to reconstruct it, and then we're going to use that for research because everyone needs to be almost cookie-cuttered with it still having the spirit of motivational interviewing. Mm-hmm. But we know this is Mrs. Fields' cookie because this is all the ingredients that are required, and this is how the ingredients are put together. Mm-hmm. So from that, you need to take the whole cookie and you need to break it apart and then dissect everything mm-hmm, that's in mm-hmm. there. And that's a really good way to find out if it's Mrs. Fields cookie. Mm-hmm. Now, when I compare that to like the mica, what I would say is you need to have somebody that's eaten a lot of Mrs. Fields cookies <laughs> and maybe worked in the factory for years in the product development side of it. And so they can take a bite of it and have a sense if there's too much sugar, too much salt. They don't need mm-hmm. to get in all the grains mm-hmm. of everything and exactly how much you need to weigh it out. But I can give you feedback and say, this is a little saltier than a Mrs. Fields cookie. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to make it again, you might want to use just a little bit less mm-hmm. salt, maybe a little more sugar and bake it maybe another minute shorter than mm-hmm. you did. If you're trying to get to a Mrs. Fields cookie. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't have to get into every granule piece of what's mm-hmm. inside of there. There's value in that. But this tool was specifically to help somebody just that, that has some idea about how to make cookies or maybe has no idea how to make them mm-hmm. to give them some basic ingredients, have them focus on some of those core constructs and then move in that direction. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that was the intention of the mic when you want to take kind of a, a, a easier way to, mm-hmm. to simplify like pros and cons of different tools. Mm-hmm. There's times you want to know everything that's in there there's times you want to get really clear about different concepts about motivation when you're talking about a quantitative mm-hmm, perspective, mm-hmm. like what's there 16 chocolate chips in here? Mm-hmm. Um, and those are things that people may want to know to, for measurable and replicability mm-hmm. about an MI-based conversation. And some is like, you know, we're just looking at kind of a baker's dozen. You know, there could be 14, there could be 18, and there's going to be some variability, but does it still, when somebody in the mall picks up and takes a bite of it, does it still taste like Mrs. Fields? Mm-hmm. That's more what Micah is looking at, is mm-hmm. just we want to make sure that there's that quality 
you know, inherently built into it, mm -hmm. but it doesn't have to get into that, again, the granule yeah. um, differentiation between the kind of the, and that's where you can see some basic pros and cons between mm -hmm. the mic or other tools as well, too. Well, and, and you know if you've gone through the, the training, uh, we do a whole training with the mic up, but that we, we get into a lot more specificity around this as well because it really isn't just someone that's done MI that listens to a tape and goes, well, was that MI or not? It's not that vague. You definitely have to have worked in, in the factory to some degree and have tasted lots of the cookies, but there's also this component of reliability to the yeah. process as well that I know... Ali, Susan, you and I, you were the lead author on it, put a ton of effort into the, every single word that's chosen <laughs> so that it really represents accurately what is being depicted, what's going on, and so that this experienced person in MI isn't just going purely from this anecdote. They're going from research and evidence-informed and evidence-based uh, framing to look and taste from this angle, yes. get grounded from this place of us having a common way of having a similar level of salt sensitivity, yes. a similar level of sugar sensitivity, a similar level of fat sensitivity, so that we might have a little variance, but we're ultimately going to be helping this person add a little more salt, add a little more of this in a way that gives them really concrete feedback yes. on how to do that in a qualitative way that they don't have to feel like they're hitting a bell and whistle. It seems like that is a really important thing to just point out that you're not just so wide open that you're shooting in the dark. So that no. just seems really important. But Yeah, and it, and it is why we did think about, okay, what did we want to focus on? So one of the concepts, um, like I think this is a good example. So, you know, the one tool, like the Mighty, the tool that, you know, I think is a phenomenal tool, I was obsessed with for, you know, so many versions of it, just yeah. I think it was the best tool that I, I could have possibly found in the MI world for the work that I was doing, the work that we've done together. Um, and originally we had to, when we listened to a tape, you know, snap on your headphones, you're coding a tape, was it a, a simple reflection or a complex reflection? Was it an open question or a closed-ended question? And in that level of specificity is really helpful to be able to provide feedback. What we also did find with some people who are learning MI that then that's what they would focus on. He said, if I can get the right ratio of questions to reflections, if I can get the right ratio of some reflections to um, complex reflection, of closed questions to open questions, me of questions me to reflections, yeah. yeah, yeah. That, that when you start getting into all that, the naive brain starts to get really overwhelmed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And... And, but we, we do know, if you go back to the very first concepts of looking at motivational interviewing, we knew everybody that was masterful in motivational interviewing did significantly more reflective listening than they did asking questions. So with the mic, what we know is we, we can get into that level of granularity, but in some ways for a naive brain to just know if they're doing more questions than reflections or more reflections mm -hmm. than questions, let's just look at that mm -hmm. as a, a way to take a basic bite of the cookie. Mm -hmm. There's other you know, um, components or indicators that we look at, but instead of getting to that level of depth, just from a coaching perspective to be able to just say, you know, more reflective listening is going to be more beneficial. Mm -hmm. Then we can get into the qualitative, which is what you brought up before we can get into the qualitative. Is it empathetic reflections? Are you just regurgitating words? Mm -hmm. Are you just chasing language, parroting mm -hmm. it back, mm -hmm. paraphrasing mm -hmm. it back? Or are you stepping inside their reality and trying mm -hmm. to access those deeper thoughts or deeper feelings for the individual? And if you're getting that, is that reflection coming out of your mouth? That's a different way of coaching for somebody to get better at motivational reviewing than just looking at simple, complex, mm -hmm. open, closed questions, like getting into that level. The, the um, tone of curiosity in your voice when you're asking an open-ended question, mm -hmm. do you do you genuinely not know what the potential answer is? 
what do they really think their next steps might be mm-hmm. if they're going to move forward with this this change? Mm-hmm. That that quality is what we really look at instead of again the granularity of, of the specificity of the open closed mm-hmm. simple complex mm-hmm. you yeah. know all those kind of things. So yeah. like that's one piece of it that I think some tools are significantly better at, at um, teasing that out mm-hmm. and being more specific about that. With a naive brain and providing coaching, we know there needs to be more reflection and questions, and so we just count like those types of things. Mm-hmm. Then we get into the more qualitative side of like strategic responses, which um, I think yeah, that's where I was going to go next. So yeah, yeah, it, it was probably one of the things that was most impressive to me when I went through the um, health coaching performance uh, assessment HCPA training the HCPA Dr. Butterworth. Dr. Susan Butterworth. Um, <laughs> and when I went through her training, I was just fascinated with the concept of measuring the strength of change talk. Yes. Like that had been part of tools that I'd worked with before and I've worked with tons of tools, mm-hmm. but just really assessing how strong is this change talk? Mm-hmm. I thought this is significant. This is huge because this is a, there's growing data around that. Mm-hmm, there's mm-hmm. many more art, uh, journal articles written about the power of, of change talk, the power of self-affirming statements mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like that was yeah. just something that really, it was really, hot. Yeah. That was really, really yeah. hot. Yeah. Um, and so that's when we started thinking about if even for a naive brain, a, can they hear sustained talk or change talk, resistance talk, commitment talk, can they hear it? And we can train them to hear it. And then when they hear it, do they know what to do with it when they hear it? Mm-hmm. And that's where we got into the strategic responses. Mm-hmm. So, and then, it, I mean, it's kind of going too far in the mic in some ways, but it's where we came up with the whole construct of a verbal intervention. Mm-hmm. So asking a question or doing a reflective statement is an intervention. Every time you open your mouth, that's what I love when we get into really good motivational interviewing is you can be so mindful about why am I opening my mouth? You like talking about why am I talking? The weight. Why I just found a lot of people resonate with it and yeah. remember it. So that's <laughs> yeah. Not, yeah, yeah. Why am I talking? You know, the weight whole concept. It's the same thing with a verbal intervention is it's a fascinating thought when you look at this from a physics perspective or a method of communication to think every time I open my mouth, this is an intervention. Every time I open my mouth, it can have an impact on that person's brain. Mm-hmm. And that makes you slow down a little bit, makes mm. you wait because you're going why am I talking? What What is my intention here? What is the purpose of me opening my mouth mm-hmm. instead of just general, normal dialogue? Mm-hmm. And so you can think of the question reflection piece of it, of why am I opening my mouth? Those are very specific inter- um, interventions. But then when you hear language, you can strategically respond multiple ways. You can have somebody say, um, you know, I've never been able to lose weight. Diets just don't work it for me. Mm-hmm. I can ask them a question to get more change talk and say, so what are some things that have worked for you mm-hmm. to pull change talk? I can reflect change talk even though they just told me dieting mm-hmm. does not work for them. Mm-hmm. They're, they're frustrated and it doesn't work for them. I can say, and you really want to find something that does work for you. The, opposite. Yeah. the exact mm-hmm. opposite of what they just mm-hmm. said. Mm-hmm. So those are strategic responses to that. They can say, you know, I just can't lose weight. Dieting doesn't work for me. And I can say, you know, you found out that nothing works for you and you're really frustrated right mm-hmm. now. I can go high empathy and reflect that. Or I can mm-hmm. ask more reasons. What are some other, why do you, why do you feel like that doesn't work for you? Why, does mm-hmm. diet, why hasn't mm-hmm. dieting worked for you in the past? They're going to give me a lot of excuses. Mm-hmm. Every one of those is a strategic response. Mm-hmm. And what I love about using a tool like the MICA is I'm never going to tell you what was right or wrong. Mm-hmm. It's more, do you know why you opened your mouth and said what you said? Yeah. Did, yeah. You, did you have a strategy behind it? On that, because because we, we hear complaints and excuses and we hear these things, but 
uh, I know you were just talking about this with Guy Andrell at the UK and yeah. the United Kingdom. There was a whole mic training um, about there's a time and place to evoke sustained talk, yes. which is this talk that gets a bad rep to some people, or, or it's just like almost uh, you know this this sense of we've kind of talked through this in the mint world. Do you sidestep it? Do you soften it? What do you do with it? Right? Do you avoid it? And, do you just shrink it? Yeah. What do you, you know, get rid of it. Like we shouldn't spend too much time there versus honoring it and really using the analogy of the windy road that there's, what's the strategy behind that question of what else is difficult. And if it's more just, I was supposed to ask an open-ended question or I'm just trying to get better at being curious. That's a different quality that will get captured in this particular tool than than it being particularly strategic that I was doing that because they're not very engaged right now. And that's going to help them open up with me. And it seems like there's, there's this extra level of thinking with the strategies that also seems to be a little different. I know, um, uh, Dr. Butterworth, Susan, uh, had brought this up for a possible, um, uh, update to the tool coming up is, uh, this sense of people are getting the intentions a little bit before they get the strategies. So as we're kind of coming to a close, I'm wondering if you could kind of, uh, give, give a sense of what your experiences has, has been with people, um, kind of seeing it as different now that we're at this point, uh, in their own experience, particularly with relation to the intentions and strategies. And then I'll try to bring it to a close after that. Like what's, what have you seen between people's learning of the intentions and the strategies and in particular, the difficulty or ease of, of both. I, you know, what I like about, you know, regardless of how the tool is structured, what I like about it is it really does come down to you as the end user. If I'm coaching you, where do you want to start? What, mm. what, where, where, what are you focusing on? Instead of me trying to structure the tool in a way for a coder's brain, which mm-hmm. we do want the coders to be able to have, you know, find significant amount of utility in it. If our number one rule from the first day we sat down was how does this benefit the end user, mm-hmm. how we structure the tool is not a number one concern for me. What I do think of about the structural difference is, again, like I was just talking about a few minutes ago, the difference between questions and reflections and strategic responses is those are all verbal interventions. So if you're talking about just the awareness of when you open your mouth, it's having an impact on what people are thinking, those are verbal interventions. That's different than stepping back and going into what was my intention or what is my intention mm-hmm. when I'm sitting down with this individual. Mm-hmm. So, so those why there's a distinction between the verbal interventions part of the coding tool and the intentions that we can provide feedback on. Mm-hmm. So with the intentions, it really was when you sit down, what is your intention? Is your intention to get an intake completed? Is your intention to provide them feedback from a bunch of uh, diagnostic information you've gathered mm-hmm. from them or test results? Um, and again, it doesn't mean you can't use motivational learning in those situations, but if your intention fundamentally is to gather a psychosocial history, that is your language is probably going to follow that. Well, it's not a behavior change conversation. It's not a behavior change conversation. Mm-hmm. It may not be an MI-based conversation, mm-hmm. which is exactly what we keep focusing on what makes this different than other methods of communication Mm -hmm. and it doesn't make MI right Mm -hmm. for every situation Mm -hmm. so that's what I think of with the intentions piece and I think of the verbal interventions piece Mm -hmm. is what's your intention going into the conversation and then what's your strategy and your interventions along the way what's your interventions as you're opening your mouth and what's that about so those where you see these kind of fitting together Mm -hmm. um, with the intentions and the -hmm. and the verbal interventions and how the way we structure them, I think it depends on the end user mm-hmm. as far as what's helpful for their brain. But then I think from the most highly MI adherent perspective, what's the first thing we do? The first thing we do is say, what's going to be helpful for you today? Mm-hmm. What do you, what, what's your best case scenario in submitting an audio tape? What do you mm-hmm. want to get out of this conversation? So I think when you start from there, 
the structure of it is not highly important, but I think for coders that does become, mm-hmm. you know, like sequentially, how should I code this or what am I trying to capture first? So. I'm just going to capitalize on that but as we're coming to a close too uh, for just our time. We're trying to keep these within 35, maybe up to 45 from time to time when we go off a little too much minutes. Uh, we got the red nose, uh, meaning we get, need to wrap up here in a sec. That's our signal. Uh, but <laughs> there is an intentional design that we haven't talked about and we can talk about this more in future podcasts or videocasts around how uh, the way it was also designed was to make it as easy also it's more about the end user than the coder but that uh, we have anecdotes from people that have done this I know uh, like Amanda Amanda Sharp she would do like eight a day it was incredible (laughs) and uh, but it wouldn't uh, burn you out as much as other tools as people have experienced. So there is this sense too of being a coder and having coded a lot myself that how was it designed from that angle as well? How, how was it done in a way and what's been the experience of people that use the tool versus just the end user? We could have a whole bunch of conversation around that depending on what we want to do now. But uh, there's that side to it. And then lastly, um, oh, I lost my train of thought. I'll just pick up from what yeah, you said. Go ahead. Um, one of the ways that I launched off, um, it's the thing that I launched most MICA trainings with, and what I'll repeat no less than 10 times over the course of a MICA training, is you always want to be accurate. You, in, with any coding tool, you always want to be accurate, and the most of the things you're going to stress over and try to be accurate about, the end user doesn't care about. So that's one of the things when we're coding too, mm-hmm. that balance between the two or, or from a coder brain perspective mm-hmm. is we want to be accurate. You want to get your counts right. You want to be able to be accurate in your reflections and questions. But when you get some complex statements from a, from a practitioner and you're trying to code this and you, get, you start to overthink it and then you stress and then you rewind and try to code again, you rewind and try to code it again. What I try to get coders to understand when we're talking about the ease of using the MICA is you're spending a lot of time on something the end user doesn't care about that one statement. Mm-hmm. So yes, we want to be accurate, but also you're giving them a sample of mm-hmm. and, and taking that sample and giving them feedback based mm-hmm. on the sample they provided for you. So don't overthink it on the flip side too. Mm-hmm. So again, fundamentally, we always want to be accurate when you're coding. Mm-hmm. You want to have really good iterative reliability. Mm-hmm. But if you counted 18 reflections and nine questions, and I had 17 reflections and 10 questions, basically are doing more reflections and questions, Mm -hmm. substantially, almost two to one ratio. Mm -hmm. And that's what the feedback we want to provide. So to get into parsing it out so thinly and looking for every grain mm-hmm. again, mm-hmm. that's not what the mic was designed mm-hmm. to do. Mm-hmm. So from a coder perspective, mm-hmm. you when you start to want to go there, one of the rules that I always loved in the Mighty was code down. If you're stressing mm-hmm. too much about yes. it, code down. <laughs> if you're thinking about I love the whole thing. <laughs> if you're thinking about it for more than 15 or 20 seconds, code down. You know, I just, mm-hmm. I like that. Mm-hmm. And that's what picking that kind of thinking up with the mic was really helpful. Um, it's the same thing with the intentions. It's honestly the primary reason that we built in the 0.5. So it's a Likert scale on a scale of 1 to 5 for your strategically responding to sustained talk, strategically responding to change talk. The 5MI mm-hmm. intentions are all rated on its 1 to 5 Likert scale. But what we built into that, and was from all the years of doing coding as well too, is sometimes it's not a 2, it's better than 2, but it's not a 3. Mm-hmm. And that's why we put in the 0.5 because, again, it wasn't... That, a, that's helpful for a coder, but primarily what we always said is, who's this for? The end user. The end user. Mm-hmm. And if it's for the end user, to know that you weren't at a two, but you're not quite to a three, mm-hmm. that could be really helpful for the end user mm-hmm. to realize, okay, I'm not there, but I'm not quite here, and we can give them 
very specific feedback mm-hmm. about that. And as a coder and a coach, because this is a coding and coaching tool, predominantly for coaching, then you can say, if you were just, if, if you're really focused, or if your intentions were a little bit more here, we could capture more, we could elicit from you, you know, what do you think would get you to that next mm-hmm. level when you listen to your own audio tape, but then it gives us some substantial ways of giving them feedback as well. Mm-hmm. So as a coder, you get a listen with that pure, with a really nice MI brain, with some really specific definitions, and like you were talking about, you know, um, the, the amount of, like, I just think about the arguing, and the semantic language we got into as authors about some of, yes. you know, 15 ways to write one sentence and which language, you know, which word are we going to emphasize and the amount of energy and effort we put into that, I think paid off incredibly well. And I think that, and I know you're into probably one of your primary intentions was thinking from a coder brain and wanting to, we were trying to find that balance between do we put every potential indicator and further detail in here or do we give kind of general ideas and some specificity, mm-hmm. but we can't write every possible mm-hmm. scenario that's going to come up to, to be able to give this. You need to know motivational interviewing and be able to mm-hmm. have substantial exposure to it to be able to hear something and go, okay, oh, that's the indicator. It, that was successful. That was beyond successful. That was really skillful. It's like, mm, it's starting to emerge. I can hear some MI coming out, but it's not MI. Mm-hmm. To be able to, to be able to provide those as indicators and then give, provide further detail to give more you know, substantive mm-hmm. flavor to that. So I think when you look at it from that mm-hmm. perspective, I think it gets into that whole thing about looking at the, the measurement side of it and, and some of the differences and similarities too. Okay. And now that we're definitely past our normal time, <laughs> we still got the red nose. Uh, there's just some final thoughts that, that I'll throw in to wrap up that seem to, to you know, you've added whatever you want sure. here. Um, there just seems to be this important analogy that was really helpful that, that it captures this, that Casey, uh, you were talking about uh, in uh, Department of Social and Health Services training around catching the big fish and not the small fish. Yes. And that we're going to start with a, a bigger net. And what's what are the big fish to pay attention to that are floating by when you're a coder listening to these these tapes? And that seems to resonate. So we, we, we can dive into in MICA trainings, if you want, or whatever you want to get into, what that means for big fish. But that was an analogy that seemed to be really helpful. Another thing too to keep in mind too is that because you need to know am i and have ideally gotten feedback and practice with some kind of tool out there with all the many different kinds there are that there's also an integrity to the training that i know has its own controversy around it around you know it is a a tool that's out there for free if you sign a, a a whole agreement process and that there's an integrity that, as the authors, we hope is upheld around what this is really standing yes. for with how much intentionality is behind it. Whereas when you have that we've, we've experienced other tools being used kind of freely without that person ever going through any of yeah. the training and without themselves ever getting that sort of feedback. And so that could open up a whole dialogue uh, for those that are interested in that. But there has been controversy over the very fact that we want to be the people upholding the integrity to it in the beginning. So I just want to throw that out there as, as something of, of not to shy around or not talk about Mm -hmm. that. That's an intentional, um, it's an intentional integrity that we're trying to uphold around that. So yes. um, we can talk more about that if we want in the future, or I'll, you want to riff off of that? I'll and riff then off I'll of right give now. some final thoughts. <laughs> just, be, just because it just... <laughs> then bring it to a close, rather. It, it, it was one of the things that came up in the in the training for the um, the Minties from the UK and Ireland, okay. Okay. and specifically came up. And, and one, Kathy Gormont, who's a brilliant, brilliant woman um, from Northern Ireland, um, 
had brought it up as well. We were talking about it. She, one of the first things she thought when she heard about the MICA and downloaded the tool was, you know, why would I go through training? Mm-hmm. She's been in, in the, the mint world for, you know, for a long, long, long Tasted long, lots long. of cookies. She's tasted lots of cookies. She's made lots of cookies. She's tasted lots of cookies. She knows cookies. This feels good. This feels good. And my cookies. Um, and her first thought was, well, why would I go through training on this? And um, and there was some confusion even in the beginning with the MICA that I got a lot, there was a lot of controversy around it is that we were charging people for the MICA tool. Mm-hmm. And which was really frustrating because we weren't charging people for the mic. Like you'd said, anybody can download the mic for free. We, we, Susan and I had a very explicit conversation mm-hmm. about this and our own frustration that so many people in the Mint world and outside of the Mint world pick up a tool and start to use it. And they they're, we don't know if they even know how to use the tool. Mm-hmm. And what we've seen is that from our own integrated reliability that just because you have been through an MI training or you're an MI trainer doesn't mean you can pick up the tool and use it and have integrated reliability. Yes. So this is where fidelity comes from. So what she and I talked about is we were never going to charge for the tool. What we did talk about is that you have to, if you're going to use this to provide anybody feedback, you need to get training on it. So the whole thing that people have to sign, if you want the tool, if you want, it's a free tool, anybody can use the tool, is you sign uh, uh, an agreement that says, if I'm going to use this to give somebody feedback, I'm going to use this for, you know, a a research light project to just see are there better outcomes if we're getting better at motivational interviewing. If you're going to do that, just say that you're going to go through training. Just acknowledge that I will get training if I'm going to use this to give people feedback. So you're using the tool. The analogy I'll use, especially with your background in healthcare, if if a physician, you you need to be trained to use a gamma ray knife. You, you can't just go, I'm a physician. I'm going to use a gamma ray knife. Let me point this, you know, laser at your brain and cut a chunk or you know, impact a chunk of your brain. Like just because you're a physician doesn't mean you get to go buy the machine and just shoot somebody in the brain with mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. Um, because you have a, a, you know, an MD after your name mm-hmm. um, or a scalpel or any other tool. Mm-hmm. You need to get trained in a tool if you want to use it effectively. And if it, this, and I'll say this to anybody in person or or in the podcast as well, is if you have integrity as a professional, you better know how to use the tools that you're using. And to purport that you're just smart enough to know how to use it is there's a level of arrogance to that. Mm. And I've fallen into that trap trap myself, you know, Mm -hmm. of just going, I have so much experience, I have so knowledge, so much knowledge about this, I can just go ahead and use this tool. Mm -hmm. How hard can it be? Mm -hmm. It was what I really appreciated about what Kathy had said in the training of going, understanding the intention of the tool and understanding how the tool works is invaluable. Um, and, and even after the three days of training, like I actually circled back around and asked her specifically, mm. you know, you'd said, and she, and she said, it's, it's a monumental difference between picking up and reading it and understanding how the tool is meant to be applied mm-hmm. and even understanding the definitions in your decision trees mm-hmm. along the way. And what were the author's intentions about how they set up those decision trees mm-hmm. was just, it's just really smart to do that. And what we found right in the beginning with the Micah, when we we're kind of first testing it out is you bring your own your own ideas about certain definitions to the table mm-hmm. and if you don't learn specifically how the tool is defining it even if they write words down you can read the words but you bring your own bias to it from the yes. way you've trained MI or the way you've been trained in motivational interviewing mm-hmm. like I can throw the word empathy out there 
and we can have that somebody listen to a tape and we can get 15 different people scoring it different ways because of their definition of empathy, even if they read our definition first. And we found consistently there was really poor inner rate of reliability if you didn't get trained on using the mica. So that's one of the things that when you brought this whole thing up about the Fidelity side mm-hmm. of it and the, the coding um, piece of it of what we looked at, that was something that was really important that just, again, came up in that one particular training, the mm-hmm. MICA training um, with Kathy that was just like, that, that, you know, on one hand it makes sense I should be able to pick this up because I've made lots of, mm-hmm. of Mrs. Phil's cookies and I've tasted lots of them, so I just take this tool and do it. Um, but there is... If you're trying to do this with a level of inter-rater reliability, which is what part of the fidelity to using a tool with a fidelity tool is about, means you need how to know how to apply it with mm-hmm. fidelity as well as um, assessing for fidelity at mm-hmm. the same time. So, Well, with that, that is a wonderful little moment to end on, I think, because that's the juicy stuff that people like to get into. Yes. <laughs> we, got, we got other things we can dive into on that, and uh, we have another Equipoise podcast if you want to get into uh, various interesting topics, but uh, that we go longer than we should on. <laughs> but this one lasts a little bit longer. We appreciate you hanging in there. Uh, one thing I do want to mention that was kind of, uh, I was trying to keep in my mind as we're having this conversation while being present is to really give appreciation and gratitude for authors of other tools, oh. particularly Terry Moyers, Denise Ernst, um, uh, just Jim Manuel, Bill Miller. I yes, think. yes, and, uh, and and really, what we're talking about is by. Um, and I even emailed Bill, which and to hear back from Bill Miller in an email is great little and talking with him. But he talks about getting further from the progenitor, the originator of whatever that tool or that approach is. It tends to lose. He didn't say it exactly like this, but it gets diluted. And I was talking with him about this with some other um, things like nonviolent communication, some of that. And so we're really trying to uphold what Dr. Miller is trying to uphold with MI is keeping it to what the real intention was and having gratitude and honoring other tools and other people that we're standing on the shoulders of as well, that this tool wouldn't be here without them because we are just finding that this is a different intention for a different approach with a different tool and that there's strengths and weaknesses of this, strengths and weaknesses of of others. So we'll see how it all evolves, but uh, we just want to invite any more intrigue and any more questions, clarifications. Uh, challenges yes. you have around any of this, we want to engage and definitely add value to you and uh, make the sure make sure this is valuable to your specific reality. So, with I that, w- is there any less? Yeah, yeah, you know the thing that I'd add to that, what John just talked about as well, and we say this at the end of every single time that we we provide one of these casts, is even though we keep saying it's about you, this particular podcast, I think is probably one of the best examples of how we could take any one of those constructs and make it a 20 minute conversation or a 30 or 40 or longer. John and I start (laughs) drinking at least a six or seven hour conversation. Um, so that literally is your ideas or the things you're most intrigued with. If you want us to dive down one of those rabbit Mm -hmm. holes, this is what we're trying to do is provide the information for you. So, I mean, we invite people to send questions in. We invite you to say, Hey, I'd volunteer to zoom in and, and pick your brains as well. We want this to be about you and things that you find most valuable. I think this podcast in and of itself is one that had five or six core constructs that could have been their own separate cast. So mm-hmm. that's why we're going to just keep asking and inviting you to participate in this and just say, what, what do you find value mm-hmm. added um, and ways we can uh, 
provide information for you in a way that's that's helpful. So, which is why we got the membership process. model, and you're a member, so we want to <laughs> help serve our members, and we have different tiers, and we can take it to the next level. Uh, for now, though, we'll wrap it uh, with that, and we just want to thank you for your time, and just say this is uh, our intention is to provide the communication solution that will change your world. In this case, with some evidence-based skills and intentions. So, thank you very much. We'll wrap that up for for now. See you later from the MI guys. Bye. <laughs>